0: Good evening everybody this is uh chat with the designers episode number 660 six, here on August 27 uh, 2013 holy moly is time moving along here i'll tell you this is your host George N2APB um, along with, uh, well, not along with co-host Joe N2CX. Joe is uh, off to tooling around the, the countryside with his son, checking out some beers and, and uh, historical sites. And he'll get a chance to check in here if he can. And uh, But we're going to carry on today in, uh, in spite of that. And uh, he'll be able to catch up on things as well. He might even show up too. Joe has been known to do some strange things. He's enjoying his KX-3 to no end. I'll tell you, every day I hear something new about that little radio that Joe is discovering, and he's pointed me to all sorts of different features and capabilities it has, and uh, it it truly is a wonderful radio. So he's enjoying that, especially while out on the road, and uh, we wish him well. So for tonight's program, we're going to do uh, something radically, radically different. If you have not yet caught up with the, um, the invitation sent to the lists yesterday or the day before per usual in advance of the show, we are doing everything that is opposite. Very similar to uh, George Costanza in episode number 86 of Seinfeld. I don't know if there are any other Seinfeld aficionados here on on the uh, the program, but um, I, I personally really enjoyed the Seinfeld programs. And in episode 86, George Costanza, who's a oh gosh, there's, there are no words to explain this character. Uh, but it's just a wayward character. I think he's he's a he's a ball. He's a short, fat, bald um person without a without a job living with his parents i think that's about the way he describes himself. and um one episode he decided to do you know in order to get a, get uh connect up with some women um to do some things that are exciting he decided i'm going to do everything that's opposite of what i normally do because everything i normally do doesn't work well we're going to do something along that line here on chat with the designers this episode number 60 not that we don't uh haven't had success with the uh, original approach the original approach has been where joe and i kind of expose or have an expose on on different projects that are on our that are on our bench and we put it on the whiteboard and and uh uh, detail the technology behind it and the background and the history and the fundamentals and then we normally kind of wrap up with a with a project that exemplifies some of those principles that we talked about through the program. Well, that's, that's kind of cool. It, actually, it, it's very cool. A lot of good feedback from all of our listeners, thank you very much, both live and podcasters. So, uh, but nonetheless, we, we wanted to kind of turn the tables, at least today. And uh, as, as I say in the tagline for tonight's program, what's on your bench? That's kind of a quote from, or a, uh, adaptation from a commercial these days on, on television here in the States, whether it's uh, what, what's on... Uh, um, what's in your wallet or what's in your safe, but what's on your bench. We want to learn this time what projects you are listen, are, are uh, working on. And uh, we won't limit it to things that are really in action on your bench because uh, – Sometimes, if you're like me, at any rate, your mind is much bigger than the capabilities on your bench. But uh, those projects that you have kind of queued up in your mind relative to, oh, I'm going to do this project. I'm collecting parts for this and this and this and this. Project and haven't got to it yet. I'll get to it someday, or, or I've heard some say, and I follow it to a little bit of an extent myself. Is I like to collect projects that I can do later on when I retire, when I don't have the income from the day job. Then I'll be able to kind of stock my uh, stock my my. Um, My junk box, as it were, and the project queue here, such that I can enjoy myself without as much of an expenditure as I would normally have to do if I wanted to go out and invest in one kit or another. So as a result, I and many of us here have a lot of kits kind of queued up that we're not willing to part with, but we're really willing to do at some point in the future. And I think the grandest designs that we have. And, and we're going to have this be a real interactive session here. And I'm, I'm going to r- encourage you all to uh, to kind of chime in here and help me out. Because without Joe, it's going to be a, either an awfully uh, boring show with just me speaking or an awfully slow slow show with just me speaking. Um, but uh, I don't know about you, but I've got more projects that uh, I have some grand plans that would actually conquer the world. Sort of like Pinky in the Brain, if you ever remember that cartoon from years ago. Um, uh, the brain was this little mouse with a big head big brain i guess and he had all sorts of um, uh, ideas about uh, uh, conquering the world um, becoming master of the the world well I, i intend to do that with my designs my projects that i've been collecting all I need is time to do it. Well, tonight is we're going to talk about some of those projects that we have, pretending that we've got the time, pretending that we've got these things here on the bench that are soldering irons are hot, ready to rock and roll and, and get going. So, uh, just to, to give you an idea of of how you know how my mind is going, anyways, tonight is um, on the on the website on the. Um, On our whiteboard, I've seeded the whiteboard with the only information up there, which is a list of my projects that I have intended to be doing at some point in the future. And they are are all moving along slowly but surely. Slowly is the operative word. But uh, those, are, those are mine. If, if you can read them or I'll just kind of tick them off here. Or just to, And then uh, what we can do, ultimately, is kind of go back, you know, double back around and talk about this one or that one. And what is this one? You might ask, you know, what about that one? And what's the purpose of this? And, you know, besides contributing your own ideas, you can ask about some other ideas there, too. I've got the Picastar transceiver. Picastar. You ever, ever heard of that one? Or the HBR-16, um, a wonderful thermotron transceiver. Uh, oh, I mistyped that. It's a receiver. It's a ThermoTron receiver, um, back from the 1960s. Uh, Ted Crosby, uh, W6TC, I forgot its call sign, but very popular in QST. Of course, then there's the SDR Cube derivatives. There's a there's a really nifty signal quality meter that Joe and I have on the on the bench. In, in a certain state of uncompletedness um, and measure all sorts of neat, neat stuff. Go along with the the, uh, the C line, the cube line of uh, transceivers that we have. Uh, the Whisper prototypes, I've, I've become enthralled with Whisper. I've mentioned this a couple times in the past. And um, WSPR, Weak Signal Propagation Reception, I guess, is uh, uh, a popular thing for a whole bunch of uh, hams, and I've become attached to it now as well. And I've been exp- Exploring and prototyping with different kinds of uh, kits that are out there. There's one from uh, Germany, I think, as well as a fellow W3PM. I forgot his call, uh, his name. He's got a wonderful set of experiments that I've been replicating in order to bootstrap myself up and, of course, uh, get that into the not only the uh, SDR Cube but the new PSK modem, so for supporting that particular digital mode. Then in uh, a recent issue of ER Magazine, Electric Radio, fabulous, fabulous. Fabulous uh, magazine for um, ThermaTron um, enthusiasts. Of course, ThermaTron. If you haven't paid attention in the last couple of episodes, is uh, tubes, hollow state design. Um, Grayson Evans invented that, uh, or started using that term ThermaTron to really specify what uh, what projects have tubes in them. There. Anyways, in the recent ER magazine, there is a wonderful um, BCB receiver, you know, an AM band like for you know, 850 to 1700 kilohertz, and um, for DXing, which is a, a really fun thing to be doing. But he designed a couple of little features into um, a, uh, a tube receiver a BCB receiver that enables uh, better reception and able to distinguish or differentiate or the selectivity is much better at night for um, actually picking out all those radio stations on the radio dial when they're all booming in there. Next one there is an all-band TXPA module for the soft rock uh RXTX 6.3 uh, that fits into the SDR cube. So the cube has recently gone all band for the receiver. In other words, it's a general coverage receiver now, but uh, still has individual modules for the transmit. Well, we're working on the same kind of thing, opening that up for all band transmit from 0 to 30 megahertz. So we can talk about that. And then a little mundane things along the way here. I'm I'm uh, I'm relocating my butternut vertical. I love the butternut vertical as an antenna in my backyard. However, the trees over the years have kind of grown to uh, kind of get closer to the antenna, and um, it's affecting performance. So I am in the process of digging a hole in the middle of the yard and essentially moving the butternut to the middle of the yard. Oh, my aching back! Those of you who know me can understand that comment. And uh, in the interim of doing that, since my antenna is down, I put up a G5RV antenna. Wonderful thing. Oh, I've rediscovered the joys of that all-band type of antenna. It's a compromise antenna. If you've ever studied it yourself but uh, or used it, but it's got some wonderful characteristics and we can chat about that. Then there's all sorts of, uh, oh, I, I indented improperly, all sorts of uh, chat with the designer project continuations. We we tend to start things here and, and chat with the designers from the project perspective, but then kind of uh, stretch it out long time. Because there's a number of projects going on and there's only enough time in the day to do enough uh, whatever there's time for in the day to do. And uh, we've got the Arduino base station, the precision Arduino clock and base station. We've got the remote display for it. These are kind of new and the latest. Uh, there's been some advances there, too. Then there's the PSOC 5, the uh, system on a chip. Um, exercise and and experiments that we've been doing to create a standalone receiver and uh, to actually kit up some of the things we've talked about in the past, such as the Growler SWR kit and the Rainbow Tuner kit. These are things that we've kind of analyzed and talked about and so on, and a number of people have been asking about those, uh, when they're going to resurface. Well, all it takes is a little bit of time to do that. So uh, we're, we're in the process of doing all of that, Joe and I. So that that's kind of the uh, the approach here tonight as I look down the list of attendees, I see all sorts of, of different uh, oh expertises, skills, uh, uh, special interest focuses, and so on. I I, I, whew, I could name something for almost every one of you guys since I, since we deal here now in 60 different episodes over the last couple of years, and uh, I dare say that I personally would be very interested to learn about your projects. And uh, the way that we can work this is um, kind of a kind of a raise your hand kind of thing. If you if you're ready to start, just chatting, just informally chatting about the project or a couple of projects that you've got foremost on your mind. And frankly, that might be all it is, but that's that's okay. And that's, that's what we'd like to hear about. Um, we're gonna pass the mic around and talk about that. And I'll I'll act as the MC, of course, and kind of ask around, uh, ask some uh, ask some probing questions, some leading questions that would be interesting for everybody to hear about. And uh, of course, this, thing, this whole thing is being recorded as usual, and the podcast is going to be available on the website within a day or so afterwards. But that'll give me enough time to kind of go back and research and collect photos and diagrams and schematics and theory of ops and and background technical information on each and every one of the topics that we're ultimately going to talk about tonight. So instead of kind of pre-populating the whiteboard with all the information that we're going to go through on a step-by-step basis... Like uh, George Costanza, we're going to turn things around and do everything in the opposite way tonight. We're going to talk about the projects and just have a good old time, I hope, at least I'm going to have a good time, um, talking about the different projects, and and, uh, then we can document it afterwards. One of the nice things about talking about a project, and, and I know that you can appreciate this, every one of you guys listening here is that uh, there's no need to have anything that really kind of proves your point. There doesn't have to be a working example. You don't have to have data that shows that your idea uh, holds water, that it actually works. You can kind of sit back and brainstorm and say, hey, I think that uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect a, uh, a, a very, 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 very thin wire to a balloon, fill it with helium. I'm going to send it high 10 miles up into the stratosphere and have the best darn long wire vertical around. Well, uh, that's that's a great discussion topic right there. I mean, there might be all sorts of challenges to that, but talking about it and talking about those challenges is kind of a fun thing. And that's what we're going to do tonight. So um, with that kind of a long preamble, I think uh, I've set the stage and I hope I've given you enough of a, an idea and insight to the way that we're going to run this thing here tonight. And uh, maybe just open it up, first of all, to any, uh, anybody who has a comment or thoughts about uh, just the approach that we're going to follow this evening. Anybody uh, having, have a comment they want to share? Go ahead. Thank you, Al. Go ahead.
1: Okay, hey George, sorry about the A factor. Uh uh I'm pretty excited about tonight's uh, uh show, you might say. And uh I think it's a real good idea that uh that you put together tonight, and I'm really excited about hearing what other guys are doing. Uh I've got so many projects on the back burner that uh it's not even funny, and I, as you were talking, I'm making a master list of all the st- stuff I have going on right now. Not only on the bench, but in my mind, I just haven't uh, collated uh, stuff and put it together yet.
0: Oh, that is so true. And and thank you for sharing that. I, I'll tell you, I hope others are making lists, if not down on a piece of paper, but at least mental lists about these things. Because, um, again, there are so many. And it doesn't have, to. you know, the, the cool part about, uh, a cool part about life at least for me, is that the projects don't have to be huge and earth-breaking or, um, you know, world-curing um, type in nature. And um, they can be little things, very little things. Um, oh, I'm just looking around here in the shack. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I've, I've spotted something here, which is a, a calibrator. It's, if I can read it from here. It's a uh, 1 megahertz and a 10 kilohertz no it's a it's a 1 meg and 10 meg uh calibrator and i know i got it from a ham fest or something and i put a 9 volt battery in there and, and the thing works so i've always been figuring uh, uh waiting for some time to figure out you know a how accurate is it b how can i calibrate it you know there's some kind of an oscillator in there, and I've got to be able to trim it somehow with a cap. Or and uh, once I get it calibrated to say 10 megahertz, I should be able to really reliably adjust my various receivers to 10 megahertz, right? So just going through the process and the steps one by one. And so there's a project that isn't even a project. Kind of a another Seinfeld episode is a, um, a story about nothing, essentially an episode about nothing. So here's a project about nothing other than just turning on the darn thing and figuring out how to use a 1 megahertz and 10 megahertz uh, calibrator. And, And these are the kinds of things that, I don't know, I come home from work each night and I come down here to the shack after dinner and uh, look around and say, okay, what can I do this evening that A needs to be done? Nah, I don't want to do that stuff. What can be fun? And uh, sometimes I'm tight for time, so I look for something, kind of an easy project I can knock off quickly or explore quickly. Other times I, you know, I'm, I'm just anchoring to, to, to focus down and get something heavier, dutier done. And uh, there's just a plethora, a whole range of different things that can be done. And I would assume that everybody, no matter how big or small your shack is um no matter how many bands you're on or maybe you're not even on the air right now but just doing some uh homebrew experimenting on the bench that can be kind of exciting so we'll come back to you al thanks for making that list anybody else have some comments here anybody else been making a list uh checking the toys kind of
2: thing hey george, hey george this is Jordan. terry i thought all Seinfeld episodes were about nothing
0: <laughs> I think they were. I think they were, Terry. I'll tell you. I love that program. It is. Uh, they got a little kind of funky in the later uh, in the later years, but they were so good. I'll tell you. A, a, a program about nothing. And, and those of you who don't know the Seinfeld episodes or about what we're speaking about, there's no way that we can really explain it. So just uh, just don't worry about it. Uh, Rick, you had a question.
3: I was just going to say one example of, of the same kind of thing that uh, uh, you were talking about. Uh, I went to a ham fest uh, about a month ago, and I'm always looking around for just something that's, <clears throat> that's interesting. And I came across a $10 item, which looked very nice. I had a nice case about 4x4x4 four by four by four inches, and it said that it was a Autek Research IC active filter, and it had a, a switch on it that said peak and notch and low pass, and then it had two controls saying selectivity and frequency. Uh, well, I didn't really have a, a need for a, uh, a, an old audio filter, although I thought maybe I could use it with my, uh, my old Heath uh, 1400 because the uh, CW selectivity on it is is very poor. But I had a good time with it, uh, opened it up and looked inside it, and then did all my research on the Internet. Uh, And it turns out that Autec Research, of course, doesn't make it anymore. But after much uh, querying of Google, I found a site that actually had the uh, schematic for it, uh, and then that led to looking at how the filter was set up, uh, which led me to some questions about how do you make filters out of IC. Uh, and then everybody who had used it liked it very much, except for the fact that it was an inline filter. So uh, as soon as you turned it off, you lost all your audio and had to pull out your phones and plug them into the whatever the, you had been using as a receiver. And all of that came down to the fact that a single single pole double or double pole double throw switch would go ahead and cure that problem. So that was the whole project there. Uh, and so now I have a nice filter. Uh, now I guess I'll have to get a nice broad receiver that needs
0: a little That's a very cool story. Um, another trick, by the way, is uh, if you've ever gone to a ham fest with an iPad or a tablet that has um, broadband capability, in other words you can get to the internet just by walking around, what a great way to kind of uh, discover the gem in the uh, whatever the term is, uh, the, the the needle in the haystack, the gem in the in the rough or something. So you can actually do that search sort of like what you did just before even buying that thing and lugging it around. But uh, I hear what you mean about finding something like that, and you're lucky that it was working, or at least you were able to get it working at Um Sometimes a, f- a real fun part of this whole ham-brewing thing, the home-brewing custom electronics and getting old stuff working and whatnot, is that there is no documentation that's current. So what you've got to do is to go back and kind of dig up something that sort of sounds like, looks like, smells like the project or the box that you've got and kind of extrapolate and find out if you determine the specifications and um, and try to see get what you need to get it working. And if you get it working, you feel really good about it too. But uh, that's good. So ultimately, is that is that filter still in service?
3: Yeah, it, it works fine. There's no problem with it. It does what it says it's supposed to do. And uh, for its time, which was, I guess, the uh, mid to late 80s, uh, it was an extremely nice uh, filter, and lots of people had it. But, of course, uh, with today's uh, high-quality uh, filters, there's uh, no real no real call for it. <laughs> Another thing that I picked up at the same uh, hand that was even crazier, uh, I was looking for a little desktop scope. I've talked to you about that before. And I found a scope that said it was a truck it only looked like it had about a three-inch display on it. Uh, and so I asked the guy who was at the table, uh, does it work? And he says, oh, yeah, <laughs> which is the standard re- reply if you, if you don't have a power supply around to test it out with. Uh, and I got it home and did some research on it, a lot of research, because it was a 1960 Tektronix. And the really unique part of it, which was the fun part, was that if you took a plate off the bottom, there, were room, there was a space in the bottom of it for about 12 D cells. It was a portable unit. It was all solid state except for the front end the connecting to the probe, which used an acorn tube. So even if I never get it working, I've learned a whole bunch about uh, scope technology in the, in the 60s.
0: Oh, that is very cool. That is very cool, and it's a nice discovery once you got it, because um, older scopes were not often battery-operated or portable as a result. I get a kick similarly about um, coming across some radios, um, old uh, boat anchors. They really weren't boat anchors. I mean, they were true thermotrons, uh, portable shortwave receivers that were battery-operated. Oh, gosh. Uh, Howie's on here. You don't have your microphone on, Howie. Um, I don't know. Oh, Carl, you might know. Um, what's the name of that portable receiver that was battery operated? Um, um, it was about the size of, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe a two feet wide, one foot tall and about half foot deep. Uh, do you know what I mean? No,
4: I'm not sure, George.
5: Um, I'm not.
4: Uh, no worries.
0: Uh, yeah, Pete. Oh yeah, you'd know too.
5: Uh, Zenith Transoceanic
0: that's the baby, I'll tell you. I've seen a lot of those, and uh, I've had my, my eye on that. Every time I see one, it's it's way expensive, but I've always wanted to get one of those because of its battery-operated nature. Oh, here's a question for you all. It's just kind of totally egocentric here, but uh, um, it relates to that one receiver that I was talking about at the, at the start. If you look on the list of uh, my projects, it's the BCB-AM Thermatron receiver. Um, the fellow who built it, and, and Howie again would be able to uh, relate to this as we chatted about it a bit. But guy yeah, who built it, it was, did it back in the '70s, and the batteries for B plus. Um, were much more prevalently available than today. So he, he was he's a firm believer of battery operated for the quietest operation, which you need for DXing. But uh, coming up with battery operated uh, tube radios today is a very difficult thing. Does anybody have any ideas for um, batteries, suitable batteries uh, or where to go to get them for tubes?
5: Just use a bunch of series nine volt batteries. That has a
0: sufficient uh, current capacity.
5: Absolutely, easily. Those radios take very, very little current. You're in the order of, I don't know, 5 mils or something like that, typically. I mean, unless you are planning to run the volume control all the way up, which obviously you're not. But, uh, yeah, that's that will be plenty of capacity, especially when you can buy them in bulk lots of 10 or 50 or something like that.
0: Yeah, I've seen some experiments. or some things that uh, some guys have talked about getting lots of volts from just kind of alternating and connecting those, uh, those snap connectors. Boom, 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 boom. Howie, what do you think of that? Oh no, it's your audio's not coming through, Howie, so something's not connected there on your microphone. Nope, still not good. I look forward to your comment on that, too, but I'll be, uh, that's a good idea. I think, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you saying that, Pete. That's a good idea because it's it's going to be a lot faster ultimately to create, uh, just to use batteries, even though you got to replace them relatively often, than it is to come up with a super-duper key, uh, hum-free um, power supply. Joe had recommended that I do that, uh, but nonetheless, I, I'd like to do it portable, and uh, I'd like to do it without any kind of power supply. Hi, hey, George. Yes, sir, Ray.
6: Uh, That technique, that exact idea of using uh, a bunch of 9 volts in series, was uh, precisely what was done uh, uh, on a website called, uh, I think it was Glowbugs. There was a fellow down in Portland that was selling a transceiver that used a single 3A5 as the uh, thermotron device. And to uh, power it, he wired it for a single D cell for the heater and, uh, or filament, actually it's filament, not a heater in that design. And uh, I think uh, 10, uh, 10 or possibly 12, but I think it was 10 9-volt uh, cell uh, batteries uh, in series. And uh, that was for a transmitter, which was putting out about uh, two or 300 uh, milliwatts of power.
0: Well, very good. I'll have to look that up. And and again, I come back to see some, you know, I don't know what they were, but it's called wild and crazy experiments for the, the, uh, they seriesed up, uh, you know, a hundred nine volt batteries to get a whopping uh, uh, zap at the end of the at the end of the terminals. But um, we can certainly put that to good use there. Um, all right, that's. Uh, oh, yeah, anybody else there? Okay, I thought I heard something there. Frank, N3PUU, uh, you've got some pretty nifty experiments going on in your house all the time, whether it's woodworking or metal building or metal fabrication or something, but you've got some cool uh, sensors that you've shared with us in the past. What what kind of new projects do you have going on there? Do you have your microphone hooked up tonight, Frank?
7: I I do. uh, I'm through our right, George.
0: Oh, outstanding. Go ahead.
7: Great, so um you know as as you know, and some of the guys on here know you know, we had a baby last year, and um as part of that, I pretty much gave up the shop to become or uh, the, the shack to become a uh, a bedroom for the for the little guy so I, I technically don't have a bench at this point um it's whatever flat surface I can grab and uh, throw a soldering iron on so uh as of late the past couple of weeks. The, the main project here that's uh, kind of exciting but still up in the air is looking into building myself a, a proper workshop here at the house. Um, you know We're looking at putting up a 20 by 24 building out back. So I have spent the last several weeks uh, running around, chasing suppliers, getting prices on materials, uh, talking to the zoning office, dealing with building inspectors and, and and surveyors and and so on and so forth so that that's the the big project at the moment
0: that is really really cool now uh, tell us is it going to be connected to the house uh, so you going to be easy access and such
7: uh no this would be a standalone structure um it'd be about a 75 foot walk out the back door which is uh you know close enough to be comfortable and far enough that i can make some noise without aggravating anybody you know what i mean
0: Alright, alright, that's got some definite possibilities. Being located that far away from the house, though, makes it a little inconvenient for being able to step in and out really quick, especially when you got to give a hand with that little guy. Um, and I'll tell you, I've, folks, I've seen uh, Frank's little guy there, and uh, he's been to, uh, oh gosh, what was it, Frank? The uh, Was it Field Day that we were at?
7: yeah yeah I think that was uh that was field dice that was back in June what about two months ago and you know since then he's 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 even faster and and even more curious uh it doesn't take him very long to figure things out he he was out in the garage. For the first time uh, about a month ago and uh, I think it took off about 15 seconds for him to wander over to the table saw and go for the power switch. So it doesn't take long for these guys to figure things out. Um, other than that uh, projects that are that are in, in progress you know sitting in, in boxes waiting for me to get some time to get back to them is, is of course the uh, the remote Arduino clock, um, the NOAA weather radio that we we spoke about a, a few months ago on here. Um, I couldn't resist, and I picked up a, a free sock, so I'm I'm ready to roll when uh, we all start moving forward on that again. And and then on a the wish list for the future, uh, is, uh, I've been collecting parts to build a UV ultraviolet exposure box for making PC boards. As uh, some of the guys know, I, I, I like to make my own boards, and I really like the photo method, so I'm looking to build an exposure box to get a more accurate result. And to uh, be able to knock them out quicker, and uh, an antenna tuner would, would be nice to put together one day soon. Um, kind of got an amp for the soft rock in in, in the back of my mind, uh, kind of kicking around. Maybe ordering a, a hard rock 50 kit, and and then on uh, on the real wish list, of just the the kits that I'm waiting to come out is uh, hearing more about the, the TXPA module, and, and of course the uh, the power cube to go along with the uh, SDR cube that everybody knows I like.
0: Well, you your list sounds about as as long and wishful as mine, there, Frank. You got a lot. You're an ambitious guy, I'll tell you. Especially with a with a youngster like that in the house, you've got a lot of you've got your hands full, I'm sure. Um, Oh golly, I had forgotten about the NOAA radio. We talked about that one episode. Oh gosh, a, long, a while back, and uh, I've got the uh, I've got the module here that I ordered based on that particular episode, and uh, I've just been waiting to kind of hook it up. And that's another. That, gosh, I should put that on the list here too. Antenna tuner. You know, here's an antenna tuner story. Very short one, but uh, my my antenna tuner went south on the K2. I have a K2. Wonderful, wonderful radio, and uh, but the antenna tuner didn't antenna tune, so um, I took it out and been meaning to fix it up, and that, that ought to go on the list, too. But then I've got an external um, manual, it's a PALSTAR, manually tuned uh, um, ATU, and it's been a long time since i really used that, since most of the modern rigs today have built-in antenna tuners. It really worries me when I have to transmit long, even with low power, but transmit long times in order to find the resonant point with the ATU. And man, I'll tell you, going back in technology, back, back in the years, and many of you guys probably use it still, but those manually tuned antenna tuner units are... It, it takes some takes some getting used to, to using those things, and you become uh, we become kind of uh, um, uh, dependent on the AT the automatic part of ATUs these days with modern rigs. But anyways, antenna tuners are, are a necessary evil for sure and definitely before you get that uh, you know nothing wrong with the hard rock uh, amplifier, but. The um, uh, the power the SDR power cube is uh, the RF power cube is about ready to come out here, Frank. So it shouldn't be too long on that front. Thanks for sharing your uh, your stories there. I'm really excited about your 20 by 24 shack. It reminds me of my days when I was into astronomy and I put up my own little amateur observatory in the backyard with a roll off roof about the size of 20 by 24. Had so much fun with that. I brought power out there and I had my computer. Back in those days, it was a desktop, definitely a desktop computer, permanently located. Um, a, uh, uh, a data cable all the way from the inside computer to the out there so I can get all of the, uh, the orbital data uh, for the uh, satellites and for the uh, stars and such. But uh, it was uh, fun stuff. Um, Terry, your mic is. Oh, Pete, go ahead. What's up?
5: Yeah, a couple of things here. You mentioned uh, if you don't like the nine volt battery idea, and of course you could get rechargeables if you have enough money. Uh, I'm just seeing Harbor Freight sells you 48 AAA alkaline batteries for twelve dollars, and so all you'd have to do is get a big long tube and stack them all up, and uh, there you go. All right,
0: Harbor Freight, I got that marked down. Now. That's good.
5: Thank you very much. Well, uh, hey, Pete. Yeah, well, that's just, I mean, there's a zillion places that sell batteries, obviously, yes. Hey, George. Yeah, Serge, go ahead.
7: Yeah, you can hear me okay?
5: Oh, you sound
0: really good.
7: Thank you. Um, I have a general question for the group. Um, Of course, we all have lists of projects on the go, and, uh, you know, we experiment and so forth. I'm I'm wondering, or I'm curious to know... um, whether these projects are just completed on a, you know, on a printed circuit board or whether you use Manhattan or whatever, and whether anyone actually packages up their, their projects or once it's done, uh, once it's completed, you use it, you do whatever experiments you want, and then you put it in a box or, or somewhere else. Just curious uh, more than anything else.
0: That's a great question. I will bet you're going to find a lot of a uh, a full spectrum of responses here. I'll start off just by saying that uh, the projects that I do usually are done for replication, either in the forum like here in the chat with the designers or in the New Jersey QRP club or in the Boy Scouts or whatever thing that I'm involved in. I like to have people be able to, to replicate what I'm doing. So I ultimately end up probably going to printed circuit board. Some people would cringe at that. Some um some um uh, people who like to stay close to the to the homebrewing art of using um, Manhattan style or freeform wiring or ugly style construction and so on. How about others here? Anybody have some uh, ideas on this here for Serge? Yeah, Carl, go ahead.
4: Yeah, George. Um, depend, depends what I'm building, but sometimes if I'm just building something to learn something, um, by the time I get done with it I've figured it out and I've learned what I want to learn, a lot of times uh, they come apart and parts are used for other projects. Uh, that's kind of what I do here
0: that's a very sensible approach and, and now that you say that um, I forgot to mention that I've become really a big believer in those uh, those white plug boards you know those those white boards that you can plug an IC into and you've got also well we use them on the uh, Arduino prototypes uh, the Arduino clock prototypes and and so on you've seen them photo uh, pictured in in our different whiteboards I'm looking around here in my bench I've got uh, three four of them uh, going one is for the Arduino base the other one is for the Arduino remote another one is just for Arduino uh, VFO. Some of you know that I built up a, um, I replicated somebody's uh, DDS60 VFO controller from an Arduino and uh, was able to get that thing working, had a small bug in it, so I found that. And uh, yet another one, geez, I can't even see it. It's only partially remaining. But uh, doesn't take much to uh, much of a plugboard space to really become useful for uh, for these things. So I, I really like those. How about other other temporary homebrewing techniques that you guys use?
5: I've built some circuits on cardboard and they work fine if they're like little relays and DC things. Uh, I like not spending money.
0: Yeah, not spending money is good on cardboard. How do you uh, how do you handle that, Pete?
5: Just make little holes in a piece of cardboard and stick the component lead through it. I haven't tried it with SMD stuff yet.
0: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Anything to kind of hold up the component and sort of to isolate it. And then on the bottom, I would imagine that you're able to kind of, uh, sort of like a perf board. You make your own perfs as you go along. Very cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I would think that probably there's a lot of guys here that are um, not as much worried about, not as much excited about uh, home brewing up the circuit board and free form, ugly style or whatever. But more or less, maybe get in a printed circuit board as somebody's already worked out the kinks and uh, put it together and use it as a building block for something else. Am I right there? Anybody else follow that particular approach?
1: Uh, uh, George, uh, I haven't uh, followed that approach yet, but I plan on uh, doing that. And matter of fact, that's one of my future projects. But uh, getting back to uh, what we were discussing here, I have a little jig. I call it a jig, J I G. That I use to help me prototype circuits and, and basically it's a big piece of uh p c uh board uh, <clears throat> uh double clad and i've got uh, pre installed uh volume controls potentiometers uh uh power uh connectors uh that kind of stuff to help me quickly uh prototype stuff
0: i see so that's sort of like a um, like a standard uh Jig or fixture? I like to use the word fixture better. Um, but a standard fixture that has all the available components, you just kind of patch them together to do what you need to have done on a moment's notice, right?
1: That's right. Like an antenna connector, or uh, like I said, a power connector, uh, a couple potentiometers, switches, and then I've got room, got kinda room kind of in the middle one. to uh, to actually build the circuit. Uh, but uh, my main thing that I, I want to try to build uh, and, uh, this year. This year it's called a receiver. Uh, uh, at the four days in May this year, a guy had an excellent uh, uh, talk called Receiver Design Hard Rock Aesthetic. And uh, this guy's name is Rick Campbell, very smart uh, guy and uh, well-respected. And uh, he described how to build a complete receiver using uh, modular, the modular approach
0: i think i recall seeing that advertised. I, I know of rick a lot he's been around a while and he's uh, he's one of my particular heroes relative to the uh, early days of receiver design and, and so on um and uh, uh that, that that's kind of cool that that's that's very cool actually and your approach for using the standard components is is, is very sensible i mean when you stop and think about it Almost every one of our projects use the the, the items that you mentioned there, an RF connector, kind of like a BNC, uh, some type of a pot, or uh, if you have a fancy project, a rotary encoder, um, an LCD, or at least some LEDs in order to give some kind of indication. Toss in a mixer. I mean, everybody's got to have a mixer, an an SA-602 or equivalent, an ADE-1, Uh, very popular mixers, just to kind of mix a local oscillator, get a local oscillator in there. Um, Everybody needs an uh, an LO, whether you use a DDS or some type of a PM, um, a PTO permeability, permeability tuned oscillator, very stable, smooth, um, an audio amplifier. I mean, how many of our projects don't use audio amplifiers, uh, at the end of the day, that that's a very common thing. So what your approach is there is, is very, uh, very good Al. And I like what, uh, I like what, uh, 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 Laz K2LAZ mentioned on the, in the text, uh, uh, portion of our window here. You, you know, we're talking about using um, cardboard to mount the components on, and then wire after the component lead is poked through the cardboard. You can wire on the bottom of the cardboard. If you used a uh, an actual printout of the schematic, or maybe arrange the schematic to be more in line with the size of the part, you can actually glue the schematic down onto the piece of cardboard, and then poke your transistor, your your IC, your uh, your transistor, whatever through the cardboard through the schematic on this cardboard, and you've got yourself a built-in guide to the circuit layout. That you, it's got to make it a piece of cake to debug. I like that idea a lot, uh, Laz. Very good. Yeah, and Pete said balsa wood. I hadn't thought about that one. Balsa wood work well for a project board. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Oh, man, homebrewing. What would we do without it, guys? I'll tell you. There's there's more ways to uh, homebrew. I was uh, I came across, uh, oh, gosh, this is back in the ear- my early days of QRP Kind of like uh, maybe about 15, 20 years ago when I came upon QRP, uh, Wes Hayward had popularized or at least advertised a lot of ugly construction back in the early days of what was a QRP P or QRP milliwatt. Does anybody remember QRP milliwatt magazine? That's uh, a really old homebrewing magazine uh, about QRP projects and so on. And Wes Hayward, W7ZOI, um, a real hero of mine uh, from here in, in the in the ham world, uh, really documented well his his ugly style construction. And it was in some of the small ARRL manuals for VHF and uh, and other projects. And um, very good stuff. I'll tell you, very good stuff. Dave, um... KC4ZVW, uh, you had your mic on a little bit before. Did you have? Did you have a project that you wanted to kind of share with us there, Dave? Uh, I guess not. Um, Ray K2ULR, um, I gotta, I gotta tell you, and I don't know if Joe has mentioned this to you. N2CX has become a big fan, not just of the. Um, uh, of the uh, kx3 but of the buddy pole vertical he just and joe, for joe to get excited about antennas uh, because he is such a uh, uh um, a he's so knowledgeable about antennas and, and can find fault and an awful lot of approaches and, and so on but he's really become a big fan of the buddy pole ray you you too are um um uh, you like the antenna a lot too can you tell us a little bit about that
5: Oh,
2: oh indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh,
6: David's got his uh, speaker up a little bit too loud there' because his vox was tripping um <clears throat> yeah the uh, uh the buddy pole is a dynamite antenna uh, it's really an assembly kit for various types of antennas, and it's it's one of his charms, and I think uh it's one reason why it fascinates Joe as well because you can do lots of experimentation with it. And operating it as a vertical is an extremely uh, useful way to do it. Um, A little bit easier to manage because uh, you don't have uh, two dipoles sticking out to the side, which can be a bit of an issue uh, if if you have some wind. Um, The old story is that uh, it's like the old pilots, those that have and those that are going to land with the wheels up. Uh, Body pole people uh, are characterized by... uh, those that have and, uh, and those that are going to uh, bend uh, one of their telescoping whips because the, the whole thing fell over in a gust of wind. Uh, the answer, of course, is to tie it down with guy lines or some other means, weight it down, sandbags, uh, <clears throat> bucket of rocks uh, underneath, whatever, uh, because uh, it's lightweight enough to carry, but uh, uh, it means it's lightweight enough to blow over. Anyway, the vertical configuration for a number of mans is uh, super simple to do. Uh, in fact, some guys even get extra-long telescoping whips to make it a true uh, unloaded uh, vertical element. Um, the good old people at MFJ make a 17-foot-long telescoping whip, which will mate with the uh, buddy pole, buddy stick hardware, and so you can stick that into the sky. Uh, that and an equivalent length of uh, counterforce, uh wire and bingo, you're you're up and running. Uh, um, that particular configuration is extremely uh, useful because, uh, of course, you get the vertical going up uh, either as a straight whip or, or a loaded element. Um, the buddy pole kit, for those who don't know, I think most people are f- sort of familiar with it. Um, Uh, Let's use what's called an arm, and you can screw uh, one, two, three, four, as many of those as you want together, and a loading coil which you kind of need for 40 meters or 60 or 80 meters there's no other way to do it without a loading coil Uh, and then just run a uh, uh, a wire out horizontally making a kind of an l-shaped antenna but you only need one and it does an excellent job so long as it's off the ground by a couple of feet and um, uh, I, I've uh, literally worked across the pond on 20 meters on that uh, with uh, three or four watts on uh, sideband uh, with the KX3, I might add, and <clears throat> definitely uh, uh, Joe's been pretty excited about that too. We've uh, exchanged a few uh, a few uh, uh, emails about it and, and that sort of thing. So looking forward to seeing Joe at uh, the next uh, get together. Uh, uh, George, back to you.
0: Oh, that's great information there, Ray. And I didn't realize about the uh, MFJ making a 17-foot extender for that. That's got to be uh, probably pretty good. Um, length is all important in, in some of our compromised antennas by necessity. So uh, the greater length, if you can afford to get it, that, that that's great. Um, I like that. Portable antennas are always a favorite. I be going out to the field, taking it to work and hanging off the balcony, uh, hanging a wire off the balcony, um showing showing boy scouts uh i like I work right down at the inner harbor in Baltimore um you know by the aquarium and hard rock cafe and it's a very touristy place, which is nice for food and fun stuff but it's a it's a heck of a ride to get in and then by the way, just as an aside this weekend this coming labor day weekend they're running the Grand Prix of Baltimore, so they get these Formula One cars that come in and they map out a two mile route around town and it totally shuts down things but anyways. When I'm downtown there at lunchtime, I like to bring out my, again, I use my K2 and my KX1 um, out in the, uh, kind of like a, it's kind of an eating area, picnic table type of area be around the um, around the aquarium, right on the water. And I like to set that up, and I, I usually get, a, especially during the summer when school's out, I get a whole bunch of kids that kind of crowd around, and you know, see what this thing is going beep, 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 and uh, ask me, why don't you just use the internet? And I can text faster than you can uh, do that Morse code thing. But that's always a, it's a big thrill. I, I enjoy that. Um, thanks for sharing that about the buddy poll. And I know that uh, Joe is going to share some of his, have some of his experiences when he gets back uh, from vacation, both here, as well as uh, at the NJQRP. Pete, did you have something?
5: Yeah, talking about projects, uh, my uh, latest uh, one on the antenna front is a portable QRP antenna. There is a man named Richard Fusinski, K8NDS. Uh, and if you look him up on QRZ, you can see that he is very actively building and promoting something that he calls helically wound magnetic loops. Now, I'm not sufficiently technically expert to decide whether this represents uh, something that is as good as he says it is, but it looked interesting, and for some years I've had this 13-foot piece of very heavily copper, um, very heavily silver-plated uh, copper strip that looked like it'd be perfect to wrap around a loop that I haven't found a use for it came out of some AM broadcast transmitter crap. So I bought a hula hoop for $0.25 cents at a yard sale and cut it down to 31 inches in diameter, uh, wrapped a silver-plated uh, thing around it in a helical fashion, and used the, reg- the rest of the magnetic loop normal-type design with a tuning capacitor and a gamma match. And it worked. Uh, I have it here. Uh, basically, it's been too hot to do anything fun outside. It was 98 degrees today here in Wisconsin, and uh, <laughs> sort of a disincentive to be playing around outdoors. But it, it does work. I'm not prepared to say if it works better than a single turn bag loop, but uh, the idea does work. Now, he is uh, primarily interested in full legal limit designs, and those are obviously way, way more expensive than that. But it's, uh, it's been interesting to play with.
0: Now, as you've been speaking, I was looking to try to find that. And I think I finally did. Um, and I'm going to definitely take a look at that. Uh, uh, it sounds exciting. You know, half of half of the, uh, I don't know if it's half, but maybe even more so because not many, not all of my projects work. But half of the fun that I have is trying out different things to see if I, if it works as advertised or if I can make it work as advertised or um, if I can learn something new about it uh Uh, nine times out of ten, Joe already tells me it's going to work, or Joe's going to say, eh, it's a piece of crap, whatever. Um, But ultimately, you know, um, I I enjoy the process of getting there to understand why it doesn't work or not. I have no idea if that mag mag loop that you're talking about there, Pete, is going to do the job. There's been a couple of uh, antennas out there that kind of weird designs they are even patented. Not that that means much at all these days um but nonetheless it, they don't work you know they they work maybe as well as a as a dummy load on your antenna uh connector uh, so I can't say, but it, half the fun is trying it out. <clears throat> so if you were to get that or make it and get a field strength meter and see if you can replicate some of the pattern, uh, determine what some of the far field performance is, do some comparative antenna transmissions uh, uh, to somebody far away to see if they can determine what uh, you know if there's a difference or how it's performing. That's that's half the battle. I did a, an experiment with a, oh, there's a local fella here. Um, uh, I'm not going to remember his uh, call sign. He's he's a famous uh, um, oh what do you call it uh, contesting program writer. He writes computer programs for contests. Scotty uh, Scott uh, N3FJP. That's it N3FJP. And he and I were experimenting with uh, a delta loop. Now, this is uh, on 20 meters, so it's uh, a, a, a triangular loop, a long base, uh, um, well, uh, one of the triangle pieces along the horizontal, and then a pole holds up to the apex, and it's tipped at a bit of an angle. <clears throat> And depending on where you feed that, you can feed it at the base or you can feed it up at the top. It's going to make it either horizontally or vertically polarized signal. So we did some very, very cool experiments as far as uh, talking to guys down in Kansas or Texas or whatever, and ultimately determined or trying to determine um, which antenna polarization was going to have the best effect. All sorts of things come into play as far as how many bounces through the ionosphere, Um, what the guys, what the receiving antenna is, uh, horizontally or vertically polarized. And, uh, it was, we made charts and ultimately I forgot what the results were, but it was really fun. Again, the enjoyment, the learning was in the trip, not as much in the accomplishment of getting the darn project done. Don't you think? Okay. Um, Terry, I see your microphone is on WB4FJI. You've got more project, more advanced projects going and even I have been thinking about uh, in recent uh, years. Uh, can you share any of what you've got cooking on your bench?
2: Okay, George. Um, first of all, I've been doing a few SDR presentations down here in Charleston area, uh, trying to get more and more people interested in SDRs. I gave two in a week the last uh, about a week ago, anywhere from the RTL dongles, which I had one running, uh, through SoftRocks. I had a SDR AQ and a Flex 6500. Um, I have a buddy pole that I usually take with me, but the antenna I've been deploying most recently has been a a super antenna, the MP1 vertical. It's a a loaded vertical, Um, but what I've done is I've gone out and gotten some extra pieces of um, threaded rod, and I put more threaded rod between the base, uh, bottom of the antenna, and the loading coil, and I've also been using the MFJ um, taller um, uh, telescoping whips. And it, it actually does pretty good, um, you know. As universally found in demonstrations, you can never um, receive anything in the room because it's usually either underground or buried in the back in concrete and steel. But um, I've brought a bunch of coax and, and put the antenna right outside, and it seems to work really, really good for uh at least for a reception and for quick demos much easier to and quicker to set up than the buddy pole so I'll use the buddy pole if I plan to transmit, but if I plan just to set up a quick receive, I use the um the uh uh super antenna and it's only like I think about a hundred bucks or something. Uh, a couple of projects I've been working on lately is um, a friend of mine and I, Mel W4MEL, and I have been working uh, to add frequency control in the um, iPad and iPhone app, uh, ISDR. We've been working with the author. Uh, we've got it working sort of with the KX3, so we've been playing with that. Um, we can actually control the frequency of the KX3 from, um, from the iPad using a, um, a little y- either a Wi-Fi module, Or uh, using the um, pigtail or whatever that thing is from Pygnology. And I've had some code working for probably over a year now with an Arduino and a uh, wired Ethernet uh, to drive an SI570, so I can also control the frequency of um, soft rocks that have the SI570 on them. I'm now in the middle of uh, trying to wrap my brain around the Wi-Fly module to get that working again, so rather than having to use a wired connection, I can use uh, the iPad wireless. Um, been playing with some SDR stuff. Um, I found a, a friend up at AMRAD up in DC, and I've been looking at the Open ADC. Uh, project, which is a a high-speed analog-to-digital converter. I think it only does 10 or 12 bits, but it uh, hooks up to an FPGA, plugs into like a Digilant um, PMOD jack or something else, and hooks to an FPGA so you can do uh, direct digital conversion or uh, DDCs. So I've been kind of looking at that and a couple other things with the eye still on trying to put a a DDC, digital down converter and digital up converter up in the, uh, the SDR cube someday. I've been toying with the idea of writing a um, uh, Hercules MIDI DJ controller interface to a cat program. There's... um couple of people have uh, power sdr modified to work uh, with these dj controllers which if you haven't seen them there's a bunch of buttons and knobs and switches and stuff so those of you who feel like sdrs are terrible because they don't have knobs you go out and you buy a uh, dj controller and you stick it in the um, usb port i've um, i want to do it more of a generic thing i want to have it sitting there so it uh, does cat commands out a rs a, a virtual rs232 port instead of having to rely on somebody's porting and, and programming of a uh, Power SDR. Been doing other stuff. I've got a high-Q SDR board, which I just finished building, Hermes board, which I've almost got the parts in to build. I've just got an Onion amp or Onion amp, uh, one of those 100-watt amp kits from the HP SDR group, a bunch of Arduino junk, uh, X10 controllers. I've got an air conditioning controller. I've got got one of the – I had to replace my uh, air conditioner, which is a typical window unit. Up here in the shack, which in South Carolina they typically call a frog or a furnished room over garage. Uh, my window unit crashed, so I bought one of these uh, ductless mini splits. Well, unfortunately, the ductless mini split doesn't work very well in air conditioning mode. It's either on all the time or off all the time. So I took an Arduino, a temperature sensor, and um, a couple old IR senders from. Um, I think from a TiVo, and I now have the um, air conditioner turning on and off by the Arduino. So I can set the temperature up and down and all that stuff, and then the Arduino turns on and off the uh, air conditioner through the uh, infrared port. Uh, X10 controllers playing with those, and that's pretty much it. i got a bunch of other stuff, but the list is too long to really talk very much. Uh, If there's any one particular thing, we can delve into it more now or later.
0: Oh, my gosh, where do I begin? Holy mackerel. You, uh, I certainly wasn't wrong in you having a whole list of things here that would be of great interest uh, to a lot of us here. I'm only going to touch on a couple of them. The super antenna. I had the super antenna, um, oh, I can't think of his name, Uh, Wright, Vern Wright um W8MMC or something um or just W6MMC uh, I was the designer of that for a while and uh, I have I still have the MP1 here that in uh, your your approach for taking an extension and raising the coil this is a loaded uh, um a loaded coil vertical that is adjustable based on and you can tune it for whatever resonance that you want say from 40 to uh, to ten meters and um, it's really really nice and uh, raising raising the center of that uh, the loaded coil portion is a great improvement to efficiency for reasons that uh, I think only Joe can explain um, for me and uh, that that that's kind of a fun project that all unto itself there we saw the pigtail demonstration Ray and I and a couple of others here in the New Jersey QRP Club saw this demonstrated by uh jerry Jurin's uh n2gj as um, ray you might have even had it too um and that's always been kind of an exciting th- a way to have your ipad connect control some other device and to hear that you've done it for the kx3 gosh that's going to be something that joe i think is going to be really interested in in, uh, in seeing quick question to you i have not stayed close to the hpsdr group on uh, the onion amp can you tell me more about that
2: um, well, I just got the parts in um, the other day. Actually, it's a I, I forgot it's a Munin amp. I'm sorry, I wrote it down wrong. I think it's M U N I N. It's a hundred watt um, amplifier. It came originally. There was a board layout for it that uh, somebody sold some boards. Um, I forget his name. He's a I think it's a two call, so I think he's up in your neck of the woods. Um, and then he followed up with a kit of parts. And so I bought two of the bare boards. And then when he offered the kit of parts, I bought one kit of parts. And it took him about a month and a half or two months to get the parts together. But 100-watt amp, no low-pass filters. I think it takes a couple watts of drive. I'm not really sure. I've got the, the box sitting over there. haven't really delved into it too much yet. Um, but it looks like it's got he's got a uh, part kitted out really nice like like you do with uh, some of the other uh, some of your kits. Um, I don't even remember what the finals are. I don't think they're RDFs, but I uh, I could be wrong. They could be. By the way, I the um, getting back to the MP1, I now have a Harbor Freight. Um, one of those little one of their cheap uh twenty buck twenty dollar uh, um, boxes, uh suitcases, the metal suitcase. And I've got my the KX three in its box I mean uh the uh the MP1 Super antenna, antenna in its box, the KX3 in there, an AC power supply, a couple microphones, a couple earphone adapters, a couple different keys, and all that. So that makes a real, real good portable uh, demonstration ham radio demonstration kit and the SDR as well. I um, I just plugged the um, the little iMic into the side of the uh, iPad and I've got an SDR demo in addition to a uh, KX3. And I have to tell you that. K- KX3 is one fantastic little radio. I'm shocked about how how good that thing works.
0: Everybody here, that everybody that I hear has one of those things, says the same thing. And uh, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll, I'll get my hands on one, too. But uh, right now I'm just satisfied reading the manual and trying to see what features there are that might be able to go into the SDR cube in a similar way. <laughs> but that's the way the world turns. Thanks for the information on the Munin Amp and all the other their project. Oh, just a quick one, Terry. Do you know the part number from Harbor Freight for that metal case?
2: Uh, no, I don't, but they have two of them. One's, one's all metal. And it's like 19.95, and the other one is like 22.95, and it's metal and was well, black pla- a lot of black plastic. So uh, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I think I still had one of the sheets, but I don't. And um, I think the amplifier, by the way, the uh, Munin does use RDF100 HHF1 transistors for the finals.
0: Okay, those are very stable ones, as I recall, and that's good to know. And if anybody looks up, um, while we're speaking here, looks up Harbor Freight, metal case or whatever, and comes up with a part number, that'd be kind of cool to post it in our text box um, here for the program. Otherwise, I'll find it and I'll put a picture and, and link for it and so on. Boy, I've got a lot of homework to do in creating the whiteboard, backfilling the whiteboard for uh, today's program. Um, um. Rick, yeah, come come on, Rick, I've been getting to you.
3: No, I just had a question on the the last conversation there He said that he replaced his air conditioner with some other kind of unit, and I had something I'd never heard of and I wondered if he could elaborate on what that was
2: yeah um okay it is trans okay i I pushed the button, and the light didn't come on um I've got a win- i had an old window unit which um after what is it, 20-some-odd years, lots, it's pre-on. So what I got was something called a ductless mini-split, D-U-C-T-L-E-S-S mini-split. And what that is is it's kind of like a regular air conditioner where it's two parts. There's a, uh, an outdoor unit, and then it's got two little pipes that come up, and you hang the, um, the heat exchanger or you hang, hang the other part of it inside the room um, on the wall. So, um, matter of fact, it just came on. I don't know if you can hear it or not running in the background. Uh, The particular, they're made by a lot of companies, Toshiba, um, a lot of the Japanese companies make them. The one I got was made by a company called Chigo, C-H-I-G-O. I I think it's Chinese. I'm not sure I would recommend it, although it works pretty decently. Um, And the big claim to fame is since since the uh, main unit in the house mounts up fairly high on the wall, you don't have a control panel. Instead, you have an infrared remote control that you point at it and click the buttons up and down. The problem is it has four modes, um, heating, air conditioning, uh, dehumidify, and I forget what the fourth one is. But in the air conditioning mode, it runs to a preset temperature, so you cannot control When what the temperature? Well, no, I'm sorry. It runs. You can control the temperature, but the fan is always running in it. The fan is running 24/7, and it just cycles on and off the compressor, just like a big air conditioner. So I didn't want that extra uh, power load with the fan running constantly. So that's that's what motivated this whole project. And I found some guy on the internet that had um, remote controlled a somewhat similar air conditioner. It wasn't this brand's, but he had about Half of the information correct on the infra- infrared remote control protocol. It's like 102 bits, and uh, so I it took me about two months to decode the code and got the and get the Arduino um, doing the simulating the uh, infrared the hand, uh, handheld remote control. But it works great now.
3: Great, thank you. I see that Ray has also post, posted a link here, so I'll go ahead and follow that.
0: A uh, good deal, and in fact, I now that you described it at length, there, Terry. I uh, we have some good friends of ours down at a lake house in Georgia, and they implemented the same kind of thing. And it's a very convenient thing because the unit for the inside is pretty small, and the two tubes go down on the outside, and it's just kind of like uh, um, a very convenient thing to uh, to operate. Um, Gosh, I I see Howie. You don't have your microphone yet hooked up, Uh, Howie. That's that's too bad. I was going to mention that Howie uh, and I have come across a – Howie did – a brand new in-the-box – um heath kit receiver kit the h b r of the h b ten b uh oh golly h b ten b um and uh what we've been doing is going through um a build an original build now i don't know if any of you i um, most of you probably have put to get put together heath kits in the past in your earlier days. There aren't too many of us who have put together the kind of Heath kits that uh, were from the 60s, um, at least in the last 40 years or so, but this one is fresh out of the box. The original box, original manual, original parts, and we're just going through this thing in a very meticulous ma- manner, uh, describing or uh, testing all the parts and make sure the caps are all good, reforming the electrolytics, measuring each one of those dif- different carbon comp resistors to make sure they haven't drifted in age and whatever. So we're coming up with a, a build of the uh of the H uh, the H R ten B. And um there's not a scratch on that front panel or the whole box and or the whole enclosure and it's gonna be really nice. We're documenting it. Photo photo documenting this thing for er magazine an article in er magazine coming up in the future and uh, we're also going to put in a couple of mods once the thing is built up original to original design we're going to put a couple of design mods in there to kind of help performance and uh, this thing is going to be a wonderful wonderful little radio by the time we're done with it but i'll tell you the joy of putting together a kit you know we all talk about heath kits or i've heard talk about heath kits and the good old days of Heathcote are gone, yada, yada. Boy, I'll tell you, it brings back memories, soldering, wire, clipping, you know, tin, uh, stripping off wire and wrapping it around those terminal strips and um, soldering that together in the tube sockets and whatnot. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful little project that is. That, too, is on the ping pong table, although that's in partial, partial assembly and good stuff. All right, uh we're getting close to the witching hour. Has, does anybody have some projects that uh they want to share with the group that haven't had a chance yet to speak up? Anybody go ahead?
8: Uh how's my audio?
0: Amen, your your audio is really good. Uh, go ahead.
8: Okay, well, uh I've got a lot of things I could talk about. Uh, as you said, there's a lot of stuff that you think about but you don't get around to doing. So, most of this is in that category, but I'll start with a few projects that are not projects. I mean, just unpacking things. I I got a I was lucky enough to get a 20 amp variac at LobsterCon a month or so ago, and uh, somebody was giving it away, and I unpacked it and checked it out. So that's one of those things that you just have to get around to doing. Uh, hooked up foot switch for my for my push to talk, and uh, connect up my uh, radio to my computer for digital modes sort of just sort of connector stuff but stuff that i've had in, in mind that would be neat really uh, sort of i'd like to build a, a listening loop like a k9a y loop um, i'm interested in binaural reception to see whether that helps i'm in a city environment so there's a lot of URM sometimes on hf around s9 and uh, i'd like to be able to isolate that but it seems like it's coming from everywhere even when i go after it with a magnetic loop Uh, with a listening loop Um, I can't really get a clear null that sort of stays the same place all the time so I'm interested in direction finding pretty sort of low band HF noise and I'm I thought it's probably coming in over the power line so if I had a way of sort of taking a a one or two uh, yards length of power line and figuring out which way the signal's coming on the power line using some kind of um, time of arrival method um, that would be handy I I haven't seen anyone describing that those are a few of the ideas i've had i just uh um like to just throw those out there and uh see what what anyone anyone thinks Boy, i'll
0: tell you the, 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 you sound like you've got uh, some really really cool projects going on there and uh, uh, yet another aspect of my own personal enjoyment is getting the get in the station together and working as as in concert with all the different components in concert with each other and Things like, uh, you know, the foot switch for the PTT and connecting the radio to the computer uh, for a digital mode operation. Gets getting, getting the cable set, getting a little interface box set so you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to reconfigure everything every time you want to do something. That, that's There's a lot to be said for that kind of thing, Eamon. And the 20-amp VARIAC is so useful. I mean, I don't know if you're into the boat anchor stuff and uh hollow state design or thermotrons, whatever you want to do it, but that uh, Variac is essential for slowly bringing up a uh, tube-based radio, um, the AC line for a tube-based radio uh, power line, and uh, making sure that you bring that up slowly to reform the caps in there. That's absolutely essential, and 20 20 amps is a pretty good... uh, pretty good size for that. Um, The K9YA loop, I've got to look at that one, but uh, directional loops are a particular favorite of mine too. And I'll tell you, if you can get your hands on the most recent ER magazine, that BCB DX AM radio that I was talking about, there is a corresponding antenna for it as well. It was a loop receiving antenna, again, for the, you know, for the AM band. And uh, it's got altitude and azimuth adjust. In other words, you can tip it back and forward as well as a Around in order to null out um, either the offending station or zero in on the transmitting station. And uh, that is one nifty little design. Howie and I were talking about that. It is just a fabulously constructed little thing. So uh, I'm going to have to take a look at the K9YA. Binaural reception. I am such a fan of binaural reception. Um, And uh, I I came across it, I think it was in Rick Campbell, coming back to Rick Campbell, we were speaking about earlier. um, Gosh, I forgot his call sign. But he did the, uh, oh, he did a receiver project, oh, some 20, 15 years ago maybe, that uh, first introduced me to binaural reception. It was based on... um, um, a standalone IQ receiver and then uh, being able to handle or well, produce binaural, you know, two channels of audio. For those of you who don't know binaural reception, it's uh, essentially the I and the Q channels of uh, the same signal coming in at different phases. And I'll tell you, listening to that is like listening to the signal in the middle of your head. <clears throat> and based on adjustment, you can put that signal either toward the left ear or the right ear. And there is nothing in this world like listening to CW. Um, with binaural reception, and uh, some people swear by it, like me, some people swear against it, like Joe, but nonetheless, uh, you got to hear it to believe it, so good luck on that, and uh, your projects are good. I think they probably characterize a lot of what we're doing, a lot of us, what we're doing here, and thanks for speaking up.
8: Let me just ask something. Uh, is uh, binaural reception just a matter of throwing INQ into uh, left and right, or does it also involve... I, I guess there's another version that involves uh, two two separate antennas with some directional aspect. Is that uh, Do you know about that?
0: I don't believe the binaural reception involves the antenna aspects, although it might. You can probably gain some additional binaural aspects to the reception, uh, the quality of the signal. But to my knowledge... Um, it's, uh, it's just the I and the Q, you know, out of phase uh, uh, signals being put into the left ear and the right ear. But it's a little bit more complex than that. and I just can't recall off the top of my head right now. And uh, I simulate that. You can simulate this if you have any kind of way to phase delay. If you can phase delay an audio signal and put one, you know, the original signal into the right ear and uh, phase delay into the left ear, you can get a sense of what that, what it's like. And I do that in the SDR Cube, um, but it's not as, as well done as... As it is in the uh, the Rick Campbell design, I think it's the R, 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 R the R2 or maybe the R4 receiver. I'll have to look that up, and I'll certainly document it on the uh, on the whiteboard later on. So check back. I'll have the details and a links for that. But uh, it's 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 glorious. Okay, um, other any uh, we're going to wrap it in four minutes, and I'm wondering if anybody has some other projects that they wanted to mention we wanted to before we break. break. Is that you, Rick? Is that you, Rick?
3: Yeah, I had one question for the group. It's totally off the wall. I'm about to move from uh, a very remote location in West Virginia with a very low population density down to Columbia, Maryland, which is obviously in between Baltimore and Washington, has a huge population density of people who are doing things. And uh, I've been reading about this maker movement of people who just like to make stuff and like to have a common workspace where they can meet together and share experiences, teach each other stuff. I wonder, has anybody ever uh, on the group ever connected up uh, with such a group? And uh, did they find that ham radio type people were uh, welcome?
0: Anybody want to speak up on that?
8: Uh, I can take that if you like. Sure, go ahead. Well, um, so we've got uh, one, one uh, so-called maker space in Montreal. Um, and it's a kind of a, actually a hacker space. Uh, I think it's more oriented. Most of the people who go there are kind of a uh, um, maker and hacker is kind of the same thing. A hacker, of course, in the old-fashioned sense, uh, not in the sense of somebody who, who uh, invades computer systems necessarily. Um, we actually had a talk at uh, the West Island Ham Radio Club from a couple of guys from that uh, from that maker or hacker space, and uh, there there there's about two or th- three people in that collective who have ham radio licenses. And the interesting thing is, it's a I think it's a socio-culturally different approach to ham radio because the impression I got are these are twenty-something guys for the most part. They say, oh, we want to do, do neat things. What do we need to do? Oh, we want to use radio. Oh, we can get a ham radio license. They go, they study, they take the test. They don't necessarily join any uh, traditional ham radio club. And there they are. So these guys came to us so, to talk about their, uh, their space. I went there a couple of times. I found that they were welcoming, but there's a certain amount that you have to have in common with them. Uh, I have a little bit in common with them. I have a 3D printer, which is one of the big uh, things that they uh like to get into uh generally um i haven't really made much uh more um I'm 50 years old, and most of the guys there are under 30, so there's a bit of a generation gap. Uh, I don't know whether that's true in general of the, of the, the group. I think it's a very interesting uh, sort of possible rejuvenation of ham radio from the ranks of these people when they see that they can use radio for neat stuff. So it's certainly something to watch. I'll leave it at that because I know we're almost at the end of the time. Great
0: information, Am, and thanks for sharing that. And I think I can corroborate there, too, your, uh, your thought about a lot of the hackerspaces is- Uh, I go to a couple here in the Baltimore area and um uh, they are definitely younger people and projects I think probably the it's characterized best by the kind of projects and stuff being done in the uh, ADA fruit or lady lady ADA type of uh, world uh, different kinds of projects to control those control that using gadgets here and there we've seen a couple of comments here in our text area about uh, hackerspaces and some links and so on so definitely check out uh check out the whiteboard when I get it all posted there and that, that that's great and Rick it's really Really interesting to know that you're going to be coming to Columbia. When when abouts is that going to happen? Do you know?
3: Uh, It should be complete by uh, Thanksgiving.
0: Wow, that's great news. Hey, we're going to be pretty close. Um, There are a whole bunch of people that come to work in the Baltimore Harbor area uh, from Columbia. I'm an outlier because I come from north of the city. Nonetheless, you know, we are like uh, 45 minutes apart. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll be able to get a group here going in Baltimore uh, for hacking, for homebrewing, for QRP, whatever might be the case. Uh, And glad to have you in the area soon. Um, Other contributions here before we break uh, for the evening? Yeah, Carl, go ahead.
4: Yeah, George, I just wanted to go back to something you...
0: Oh, you're breaking up, Carl.
4: (laughs) Am I breaking up now, George?
0: No, you just got to keep your finger on it, I guess.
4: Okay. Um, Something you mentioned at the beginning of the program about having all these kits and stuff to do when you retire. Well, guess what? Uh, You're going to find when you retire that your time (laughs) is not your own. And I'll tell you what, I had a lot more time to do stuff when I was Working crazy hours and uh, running around with three kids with all this stuff that they were involved in. So, uh, uh, of course, it doesn't help that I'm one of these people who always ends up with uh, a ton of different interests. So I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off uh, trying to keep up with everything. Amen.
0: Um, <laughs> I hear that from everybody. I can't believe how it's going to be that way for me, but uh, that's probably what we all say. I'm looking forward to uh, just interacting even more so with uh, the the students and the kids in the area as far as uh, just electronics and whether it's ham radio or or hacking or just kind of motivating them to get into technology. That's what I do a lot of at work Um, and the kind of work in the business that uh, that I'm doing for the day job. Um, Mentoring some students there from the inner city of Baltimore um, once a week and uh, I'm looking to do that a lot more and it's just some of my own personal goals as far as when that happens. And we'll be for another five years or so. Um, but uh, I hear you. But nonetheless, it's still fun collecting these projects as we go along. Anybody else before we break? Alrighty then. Well, I think there are a lot of contributions and I thank everybody for that. This is this is a fun topic. I, You know, Joe and I Joe and I talk about this every single week about we do this because we really enjoy about doing it and it's fun to talk about it. I've, I've got two pages worth of very cool things that I'm personally going to be looking up and we will be documenting all this on the whiteboard, but I'm personally going to be looking into and provided links and some photographs for each one of the projects that we talked about here tonight. <clears throat> and I hope it becomes a launching uh, launching platform for some of you here who who have been thinking about this or thinking about that. And, and now you're introduced to some people who have been doing doing this and that and if that's going to be a, a bit of a, an enticement if that's going to be a bit of a motivator that's so much the better and we can bring some of these topics up as we go on in future episodes so chat with the designers and uh, maybe even drill drill in and Make ourselves a, 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 a binaural reception, a simple binaural reception receiver, a K9 YA um, adjustable loop, or a cardboard homebrew, ugly style construction um, project uh, along the way. Who knows what the future is going to bring. So, thank you all, one and all, for attending here tonight with Chat with the Designers episode number 60, here on August 27, 2013. Saying 73 and good evening from uh, myself, George N2APB, and 2 apb and in Incognito is Joe N2CX, somewheres on the woolly the woolly pathways between here in North Carolina and West Virginia and back to New Jersey. Who knows where he is right now? But he'll be back with us next time too, and maybe even catching up with the podcast along the way. 73, all good night.